Let's welcome Pastor Chris again. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you, guys. You may be seated momentarily. I will be getting you back up again towards the end. Who's feeling energetic this morning? Oh, some people. That's... Who feels if push came to shove, they could be energetic this morning? That's good to see. Because as we know, we're approaching I Love My Church Sunday. We used to call it Vision Day. But I Love My Church Sunday sounds so much better. Um, and it is actually more to do with how we feel about church and how we want to be involved in church than the vision part of it. Vision comes out of what church is. We can tell you that our vision, our main excitement about church is discipling people. It's bringing people from a place that they're at into a better place, into a stronger place, into a place that God has for them. And so, but we've got to be involved in our church. I Love My Church Sunday is about how we are involved as a group of people in this thing we call church. And it's more actually about what we can do than about how we feel. It's not a question of, oh, I love my church. The carpets are great. It's, it's, not, it's not a feeling. Um, and I'll pray for you if that's what you think about the carpets. But, um, so, and, and so next week, we're, we're going to continue on. Uh, next week, we're talking about prayer. I think that, I, I'm not sure yet. And I, I reserve the right to change the title at short notice. But I think I, it's going to be pray like God is going to answer you. Because who knows, that's actually scary. The world doesn't mind people praying. But when, when people tell them that God responds, they freak out. And I'm, my thinking is, well, if you're going to pray, you'd better hope that God responds. Otherwise, don't waste your time. But anyway, this week we're going to be talking about worship. Because worship is a core ingredient of church life. And contrary to what you might see on stage, for instance, here today, it's easy to think that our, our worship is a modern-day phenomenon uh, created to sell Christian music. Or just to get people sweaty before the Word of God comes along. Or if you've come from a more traditional church, you might have think that it was actually something dreamed up to match the invention of the organ. And you saw that they, they've discovered this organ thing. They said, what sort of music can we play on this? Like, ah, perhaps we'll invent something for church. And so they put organs in all the churches and it became, it wasn't that at all. It's something that's actually always been part of our conversation with God. Back to the earliest manifestation of God to the Israelites, there's always been praise and worship. It isn't always singing, but it's always praise and worship. And so I want to take you to Psalm 100, which is a great psalm about worshipping God. It's a nice short one, five verses. And it says, shout with joy to the Lord. So what does that tell you? The shouting involved. There's joy involved. It says, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Can you sort of see that the person who wrote that psalm is a bit excited about God? Yeah. This half of the room does. Yeah. Can you tell that the person writing this psalm was a bit excited about God? Yeah. Good. Well, he was. He, he was. he was a king. He was an excitable king, sometimes in bad ways. 
Um, but anyway, as we, uh, as we progress through the Psalms, and there are 150 of them, uh, towards the end of it, we actually see this huge rise in the number of Psalms which are actually related to praise and worship. And so there's a, there's a theme here, and, it, and it's interesting because it wasn't just that these were chants or poems or songs, and they were all of those things. And, and in, in some churches, I mean, we've heard of chanters, the you know, Gregorian chants. It's a form of praise and worship. We don't do that here because none of us are Gregorians. Um, but they, they weren't actually written to tickle people's ears or to, or, to, or to be turned into drinking songs around the campfire. It that wasn't that sort of song. There was actually a huge depth of meaning placed into the words in these psalms. And so uh, before, we, before we get into the exciting bit about what, uh, about what we do as worship, I thought we'd perhaps better get a bit theological here and do a bit of a, a study. What if I showed you the psalm looking like this? It's got all funny symbols all over it. Because this, this, is, this is actually a study of how, how they wrote the psalms to give them meaning. Now, if we look, the, the obvious one is you can see that it's divided into the two sections. The first one is about serving Yahweh, our God, and the second part is about the fact that his love and, and faithfulness is everlasting, goes on forever. So that's, that's fairly simple. The, the, uh, the double bars, the, uh, the whatever you call them, um, slashes, yeah, the, the double slashes, they actually show something called parallelism. If you look at the first half there, you can see there are three lines with double bars, and what it does is, is it indicates that the first two actually say the same thing, and the third one tells you why they're saying it. So it's shout with joy, worship God, because we need to acknowledge that the Lord is God. The, the second one is a simpler one, only has two. It says, enter his gaze with thanksgiving, praise, um, give thanks, praise his name. Why? Because God is good and his unfailing love goes forever. So that's pretty simple. That, that's... Even in English, we can work that one out. But what are these, these blue A's? Let's have a look at the A's in this. If we separate them out, we can see that there's a common theme going through here. Shout, worship, sing with joy. They're all expressions of what we do. And the, the bottom one, which is still part of part one, says acknowledge that Lord is God. So we are shouting, singing, praising, all the rest to acknowledge that the Lord is God. The second one says that we can enter into the presence of God. Why, how can we enter into the presence of God? Because we know that God is good. The courts of heaven are a scary place. I wouldn't want to go there unless I knew God was good, that he was faithful to me and that his faithfulness endured forever. Because I've read about some kings. You go into their courts and they pretend to be friendly. Anybody watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. And you know what... What can happen there? Okay, so what about the bees? The bees talk about who, who we're actually worshipping. And how? We're worshipping the Lord with gladness because he's God. So the, can you see there's a repeating theme about all this? How do we do it? With thanksgiving, with praise, giving thanks, praising his name. Why? Because it's eternal, continues to each generation. We're actually praising to let the next generation know what to do when they contact God. So there's, there's a theme here, and the C's. Who, who's going to be doing all this? Who's going to be doing all this praising and worshipping? The first line, I think, gives you a clue. All the earth 
Why? Because he made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He created everyone on the earth. We are all God's people, and therefore we should all be worshipping God. Why? Because his unfailing love continues forever and ever. And you say, you can see the Israelites actually thought long and hard about the words that they put into their songs. I wish I could say the same for some of the songs we listen to today. Um, but uh, actually, I, I, funnily enough, we might have worship songs that have words like, whoa, in them. But I love that because it's the only word I can sing. Uh, um, give me a good few woes. I can actually sing them reasonably in tune, whereas you've given me a sentence and I'm lost. But we can see that praise and worship were very important in the life of the Israelites. And Jesus certainly carried that emphasis into the New Testament. At one of the most pivotal points in his ministry, he and the disciples sang. Does anyone remember where that is? I'll read it. Mark chapter 14, verse 24. They're in the upper room and he said to them, This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mountain of Olives. It just, then they sang a hymn. It's like, yeah, it happens every day, they sang a hymn. But they already had a tradition of, of singing. You can, it's hard to imagine it, 12 beefy guys sitting around a table. They've just had communion. That's the body of Christ, the sacrifice, the blood of Christ. Yeah, all manly, Christ-like stuff. Let's all sing. And they, I don't know what they sang. I don't know what sort of hymns they had in those days. But it was important enough for a group of men to break out into song to praise and worship God. That tells me it's a pretty important part of the gospel. So he also pointed to a new era of worship, which is different from Old Testament worship because it involves the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it actually involves spiritual gifts coming to the believers. And... He actually states this in John 4, verse 23. He says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshippers worship, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them. So we can see that worship, praise, the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts are all woven together in praise and worship to God. The gifts of the Spirit bring the Holy Spirit into outward evidence in the body of Christ. In other words, they're not meant to be hidden. People are meant to see the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because the operation of the gifts causes the believers to be aware of the presence of God which in turn produces praise and worship. It's interesting, we talk about spiritual gifts and we're jealous of people who have them, but the interesting thing is that everybody has the potential to receive a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are actually manifestations of the spirit, not the person. And so the test of genuineness of a spiritual gift is whether it actually benefits the body of Christ. Not whether it benefits you if you have the gift. You might prophesy. You might think, wow, I've got the gift of prophecy. Am I good or what? But unless it actually benefits the body of Christ, your prophecy is worthless. 
And so these spiritual gifts are all part of our worship to God because it's actually meant to lift up the name of Jesus, not the lift, lift up the name of people. So we can see that although there's a, there's a place for individual worship, I mean, worship in church isn't everything. Don't get me wrong. We actually need to have our own place of worship in our private prayer time, study time, worship time. That is why we actually have Christian music available to us. Um, you, you might wonder. Um, I remember talking to my father who came out of the uh, Christian revival centers. And uh, he, he made a comment. He says, whenever I visit your church, the songs are always different. Now, he only visits once every six months or so. So, but, I, I, but to me, that, that's normal. I've, I've grown up with that. I, I mean, how many, how many new songs would we do in a year, Jordan? Five to ten songs, new songs every year. Which means that in two years, I suspect that in January 2018, are we singing any songs that we sang in January, January 2017? Not likely. They may come up. And I, I sort of thought, well, doesn't everybody do that? And when I spoke to him, he said, no, they had, they had 30 songs in a book and they cycled through th those songs in batches of three or four like we do, but they never did any new ones and they just went back to old favourites. And you know, if, if traditional churches who sing hymns, which are hundreds of years old, um, nobody's writing 100-year-old hymns anymore because they're all dead. Um, but they, they do... and so. I, there's differences in how people worship in different churches all around the globe, in different countries. It, it, there's no necessarily right or wrong way to worship. But we believe there's a freshness in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit actually moves on. If we're singing in praise of the Spirit of God, then we need to be where the Spirit of God is. You know, the Israelites, um, whenever the, the, the cloud and the, and the pillar of flame that represented God moved on, they had to move on with it or they got left behind. And so one of the reasons we, we, we sing new songs a lot is because we believe the Spirit moves on. The Spirit actually wants to change us and, be, and do different things in our lives. And therefore our praise and our worship changes to reflect that. So don't worry if you see a new song there. It's new to everybody. We haven't hidden it in the back, in, on the back burner for a couple of years and brought it out just to confuse new people. When all the old pe people who have been here a while are sitting there thinking, yes, I know this one and you don't. They're all new. It's, all, it's new to all of us. Most of the time, the worship team will let us know when it's a new one. Hint, hint. <laughs> so, as a church, worship benefits us as a group. We, if we have private worship at home, that's, that's for us. But when we come to church, worship is actually for everybody here. And initially, I mean, I, I struggled with that. Because I, I, I came to church from a, a non-church background, at least not for many years. And singing was something, the last time I actually sum, sung anything that I had prepared and practiced for was in 1975, when I had the, one of the lead roles in the school opera. And I had to sing. Now, normally, you wouldn't get me to sing in a blue fit, but the other lead in the school opera happened to be my girlfriend at the time. And there was a kissing scene. And no way was anybody else going to kiss my girlfriend. And so I signed up for the opera. <laughs> I mean, the things you do. I mean, it was worthwhile. I married her. Um, and uh, uh, she doesn't mind the fact that I can't sing anymore. 
And, and so, anyway, I came into church and they were singing these songs and everybody was singing and they were lifting their hands and they were clapping and I just felt so intimidated. I thought, I do not like this place. I, I, this is just too much. And so I stood there and they had the words on the screen and I said, mouth the words. And uh, I remember after a few weeks, I went up to the pastor and because the thing that kept me in church was the fact that he preached a great message that morning. And I went up to him after a few weeks and said, look, he said, I, I, I love the word of God. I am so hungry for the word of God. I, I just can hardly stand it. I'm so excited about it. Uh, and I said, why do we have to waste all that time beforehand singing? I said, because I hate it. Why can't we just come and just listen to the word of God? And he said, uh, he said, why do you think you enjoy the word of God? I said, well, it speaks to my spirit. I'm, I'm open and ready. And, and he said, why do you think that is? I said, well, I, I don't know, because I, I want the word of God. He says, next Sunday, I want you to sort of t take a step back from what's happening and watch people. And so I was sitting in the back row at the time. So people would come in and it was interesting, you'd see people would come in and there was all a lot of conversation about what they did that week and how terrible it had been, how tired they were and how they had to get up early for church and how the kids were being a nuisance and all of this. And as people filed in and the band started to play, I noticed that people sort of went from a sort of, sort of attitude like this to gradually over about three songs to an attitude like this. And I thought, well, what's changed? And so I, I was an inquisitive person. I said, okay, well, obviously this, the atmosphere changes for people because they're really getting into it by the time there's three songs. He said, exactly. What do you think causes that? I said, uh, the music. He said, right. He says, praise and worship changes the atmosphere in the building and prepares it for the word of God. It is almost as important as the word of God itself because people will not be open to hear the word of God unless they have cast off the baggage of the week and are ready to hear what God has to say. And a light bulb went off. I thought, oh, that is very clever. So I got it. I still mouth the words. The only, the only reason I sing now is because they've finally put me on the front row and there's nobody in front of me to hear me. Hopefully the singers, well, they've got in-ears now, so I know they can't hear me. I did make the mistake of leaving my microphone pack on once and uh, Reuben threatened to play that, but um, <laughs> I came up with an even greater threat. I uh, can't remember what it was. Um, and so I came to realise the value of, of praise and worship and the fact that I actually had a part to play. I mean, I think I've told this story before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, I used to think that when, they were, when the singers came up on stage, that they'd start to play, and I thought the Holy Spirit fell on the stage, and they just started playing in the Spirit. That the God inspired and encouraged and moved them, and, and they just sang. They'd obviously chosen the, the songs they were going to sing beforehand, but I didn't. I was horrified when I was told they rehearsed. I thought this was just a God thing. It just stemmed from the overflow of the Spirit of God. And when I heard that they actually rehearsed the songs, I was crestfallen. It was like, oh, you mean it's not, it's not just the Spirit of God blasts them and they play and, and sing 
There's practice involved. There's learning involved. There's actually skill involved. There's a lot of effort. None of the musicians we have on stage here are professional musicians. They have to put their own time and effort into practicing and learning and doing these things. And there is a lot of time and effort put in. Are they perfect? No, they're not. Most of the time, we don't notice it. But it's very easy to be critical. The number of times I've heard people say they leave the service and say, oh, praise and worship went off this morning. It was fabulous. And other Sundays it's like, eh, it wasn't so good this morning. Yeah, they, I, I didn't feel it. It wasn't. Let me tell you, if you're feeling that way, it's your fault. <laughs> it's not the band's. <laughs> because the band is not the only worship organisation we have here. You are. In fact, you're more important than the band can you, because you can actually drive the band to be better or worse. Let's, <laughs> let's take an example this morning. Who loves blue screens? <laughs> Who found it was really easy to uh, concentrate on praise and worship because there were all these mouse pointers going across the screen and there's all this sort of stuff going on. We didn't have the words. The band didn't have them either. And they could tell probably from our agitation, that something wasn't right. And that transmits itself to the band, and without being cruel to them, I don't think they actually performed at their best this morning. Because there was an atmosphere against them. Now, in a perfect world, and with a well-trained congregation, what needs to go through our heads is not, oh crap, what the hell's going wrong? It's like, who cares what's happening here? God is here. We know most of the words to the song. Let's just ignore that and get into worship. Let's show these guys up here who are leading us in worship that we are following them in worship because we are an equally important part of our praise and worship. I just want to go through a few points to help us actually become better worshipers in church. Why do we do it first? Well, I think I've covered that. Because praise and worship actually sets an atmosphere. But not only that, we should allow it to set an atmosphere. We should come into this building ready to praise and worship. So when you walk through that door, you need to be mentally going, right, whatever's happened this week, stay out there. There's, there's a strong enough breeze this morning so that if you stood in the doorway, it'd probably all just fly off. And I'm going to come in here. I'm going to get myself in a position I mean, we have prayer before the service, which is great for getting yourself in a position with God that you're going to actually praise and worship him from the very first note. I mean, the breakfasts have been really good because everybody's been at breakfast and you come over here and the place is full. You know, we stop having breakfasts and the usual thing happens. that Some people here on time and then people dribble in after the service. Now, I'm not telling you off. Yes, I am. <laughs> but imagine how great the worship would be if the place was full when we started. It would go off. Why do we, what's the difference between praise and worship? We talk about praise and worship when we actually have praise songs and worship songs. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but more often than not, we start with praise songs because praise songs are usually the loud, fast ones. You might think, well, why do we do those first? Well, again, it sets an atmosphere. It gets people moving. It gets people clapping. Clapping is not necessarily a holy thing. Just because you clap doesn't mean you're a better singer or you're a holier person. It actually just helps set the atmosphere. If you can't clap in time, don't clap. Um, that's fine. There's no, there's no necessity to clap if you know you can't clap in time. 
Uh, if you're on the front row and you clap in time on purpose, naughty. <laughs> I've never done that. He clapped out of time on purpose, sorry. Because uh, the, the worship team hates that. Um, and worship songs are generally more reflective when, we get, when the atmosphere of praise has got us into a place where we can actually appreciate God. That's when we tend to, to lift our hands. They're often more um, flowing, gentler songs. They don't have to be. You can worship to a praise song. There's no, there's no rules. But all of these things are designed to help us get into the presence of God. That's why we lift our hands. 2 Timothy uh, I think it is uh, verse t- uh, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, I love to see the lifting of holy hands. It doesn't say lifting your hands makes you holy. And, but it's an expression. And uh, again, it's not a rule. Nobody has to lift their hands. And it doesn't mean that you connect with God more just because you're a couple of inches closer. But it's an expre- a physical expression that we can use to tell our bodies that spiritually, mentally, we're connecting with God. It's a lot easier than, yep, oh, I'm really into God. It's like your, your brain's saying, no, you're not, no, you're not. But if, if you're acting it, if you've got your hands up, and who knows, there's, there's a couple of good YouTube videos on, on how, how, to, how to get into lifting your hands. If you're shy, just do the flat screen TV. If you're not so shy, you can carry a widescreen flat screen TV. You know, if you're into American football, you can do the goalposts. Um, there's all sorts of different ways you can lift your, raise your hands. You can do the pointing. There he is. He's, got, he's up there. Now, it's fun to laugh about these things, but it needs to be something that we're at ease with. Don't look around and see what other people are doing. It's a, a, an expression of your worship to God. If, if the, I mean, I, I used to do this. I was, I was a bit naughty. But if the worship leader says, come on, let's lift our hands this morning, I'd go, ha. Not telling me what to do. Don't be like that. It's, it's actually a, a group effort that we're actually trying to bring the presence of God because, face it, we've got new people who don't know what's happening. Now, they'll either be put off by what we're doing or encouraged by what we're doing, but if we're genuine about what we're doing, even strange things can become... I mean, I stood in a congregation for... Five weeks or so, and after once said, Vicky after the service said to me, "You know they're all speaking in tongues." I said, "What rubbish?" She said, "No, no, you go next Sunday." I went and, and they were people were singing in tongues, and, and I thought, "Wow, I, I never even noticed that." I've joined a weird church. <laughs> I was really excited, and I went to the pastor and said, "Well, how, how, how do you do this thing?" Because I, I'd read I'd read my Bible. He was a great preacher of the Word of God. And I'd realized that there were spiritual gifts which I could have, which would actually enhance my spiritual life. And so I, I was keen. But I did, why didn't I know it was happen, happening? I believe because God knew that if I'd walked into that church and I'd been confronted with that on the first day, I'd have run. But it didn't stop people doing it. God's at work. If we worship God and we're worshiping him honestly, it doesn't matter whether we're doing it in tongues, we're lifting our hands, or we're chanting Gregorian chants. If we're genuine, somebody who walks in will see the Spirit of God, not something they don't understand. Okay, so I think I've covered why do we praise first. just gets us ready for worship, which gets us ready. It's, it's all a progression. As to, it's a bit like in the Old Testament, they talked about to enter the Holy of Holies, there were a series of curtains that you had to open to get closer to God. 
And in some ways, our praise and worship is a bit like that. We are opening curtains which enable people to come closer into the throne room of God. And our praise and our worship, we do it in that order. Sometimes we do it slightly differently. We do it that way to actually help people come into the presence of God. What's this thing called free worship? You might not have even, we might not have even called it that. But you, you would have noticed at some point, what, when we were singing this morning, the musicians just went off. The words went off the screen. They started inventing stuff and singing stuff that you know, we didn't have a clue. It's like, what are you doing to us? We were singing perfectly well, and you guys have gone off on a tangent and left us. Well, that's what it's easy to think. But free worship, or the time we give to what we call free worship, is a time when we can actually express worship without actually following the words on the screen. It's actually a time where we can rise up and do what, what, it, what it says in those psalms, shout to the Lord, sing us praises to God, lift up his voice, without it being fed to us on a screen. And it's actually important that we engage our spirit that way. And so what actually happens is that in free worship, the worship team actually takes the time to make the worship as, as non-instructional as possible in terms of giving the words. They, they will actually go off. That you will often get instruction, and we're going to practice this in a minute, and I've asked Georgia to give us instruction, to actually praise God, to, to do it in our own way. If you, pr if, if you can sing or pray in tongues, then it's a good time to actually start praying in tongues, calling out to God. Or just lifting up the name of Jesus, calling out, Jesus, I love you. You are Lord. I worship you. I praise the name of Jesus this morning. What if the person next to you is saying something different? You're not here to judge the person next to you. We're here to actually lift up a cloud of praise to God. We lift, it's, it's about making a joyful noise. So the noise doesn't always have to be tuneful. But it's important that we engage with God. It's all too easy, I think, because we've got microphones and speakers and lights. It's too easy to think of all this as a show. But it's not a show. It has fancy things, and we do things with, I don't know whether you've noticed, but the, the background color of the slide that you're reading the words off often has matching colors around it from the lights. Now, if you haven't noticed that, Forget I said that because you're not meant to notice. But the whole idea of the lighting is that it enables the atmosphere to match what we're doing to make it easy for us to connect with God. But it's not there to impress us about how clever the lights are. Now, sometimes the lighting guys get a bit over the top and you sit there and think, oh, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's bright. I noticed that one. And sometimes that's on purpose. There's often great times in praise songs where you'll notice that the stage almost goes white because they put the floodlights on at the top and at the back. But it's usually at a time where we're singing about the glory of God and it fits in with what we're singing. The cues that we get from the lighting and the music are actually for us to be involved. It's not a rock concert where it's there for your amusement and your entertainment. It's actually there for us as a congregation to connect with what they're doing up here and what God is doing in this church. We actually have a responsibility to help the guys up here be the best that they can. If they want us to clap, let's clap enthusiastically. I can still remember going to Kong He's church 
uh, in Singapore. And that service with about 3,000 people in it. And let me tell you, when they clapped, it hurt. The, the sound of 3,000 people was painful to hear. They, they all clapped so enthusiastically. And when they went into free worship, it was deafening. Now, I know there's not 3,000 of us here yet, but that's, that's the thing. If, if we can be encouraged by the worship team, then the worship team in turn becomes encouraged by us. I still remember at a Hillsong conference many years ago, they were playing one of their Hillsong music tracks before the service. Um, and one came on, it was only playing quietly in the background, but it was one everybody recognised and everybody loved. And the whole congregation stood up and started singing to this song before the band got on stage. The band actually had to scramble on stage and pick up the music from where it was being played through the, the speakers overhead and lead us into praise and worship. Because the congregation had got so excited about the presence of God that was in that place, they'd started without them. Now, that, that was a one-off, but it's something to keep in mind that we don't need these guys. We could actually start worship on our own and let them join in later just because we're nice and we'd like them to. But that, that's the sort of attitude we have. We're not being fed from the stage. We're being led from the stage. And so it, we have a responsibility as a congregation to actually get involved in that. Now, we, we don't have time every Sunday to explain all these little nuances to everybody, especially when new people come in. So we probably only do it once or twice a year to, to go into this sort of detail about why we do what we do. But this is one of the things that, that helps us, I believe, in terms of understanding the whole concept of I love my church. It's about the vision of the church because the underlying part of the vision of the church is that God is intimately involved in every part of the church. And so yeah, we, could, we could shorten our services by half an hour if we all got into the praise and worship really quickly. Because the thing is, we don't have to, there's no formula. We don't have to do three songs, have notices, and then do another song. If we all connected with the Holy Spirit in two songs, I could get up and preach. We could have a few quick notices and then go for coffee. But we, we, we know from experience that people come in from a week that sometimes has battered them around, that takes them a while to cast off their worries, that they come sick or mentally scarred or emotionally weary. And so we take the time to bring people to a place where God can minister to them, heal them, bring them to a place that he wants them. We don't always do everything to everybody's tastes. Occasionally I, I get uh, complaints that the drums are too loud or that somebody's singing off-key this morning or that the noise is too soft. Not very often. But all I want to get th things change. We're not always in control of exactly what happens. And sometimes, depending on where you sit, the, the actual sound varies considerably in the building. And so we do our best. All I want you to know is that we don't do things randomly. We plan as best we can in any way we can to make sure that the experience that people have when they come is the best possible one to get them connected to God. Sometimes we screw up. 
Sometimes the preaching's really bad. That's the cue for no. Yeah, right. I'll pay you all later. But it's, it's not a question of, and you know, I apologise if you, if you find the music too loud. Um, sit somewhere else. Um, I te- if you have trouble getting into the worship, I can, I can tell you right now, it's because you're in the back row. Get here early and get a row down the front. The experience is enormously better. I can remember uh, towards the end of the time that the church we were in at Glenelg uh, was getting to the point where we were about to move. We ha- we'd have services in a, a hall about this size with about 150 to 200 people in it. If you didn't, the service was at 10 o'clock. If you didn't get there at 9, you wouldn't get a seat in the first half a dozen rows. If you didn't get there by 9.15, you didn't get a seat at all. They had, a, they had sliding doors at the back of the auditorium. If you got back after the praise and worship had started, you have to, had to stay out there until there was a gap in the songs, and then they'd let you in. And people lined up around the walls just standing for the whole service. It was exciting time. And we made sure, I mean, we got there at 9 o'clock. We wanted to sit in the second row because that was the best experience. The, the, the seats aren't saved apart from on the front rows where people who have to get up on stage need quick access and we de- generally reserve those and some seats at the back we put aside for families so they can be near their, their children in the, in the uh, playpen there and uh, I don't know whether you notice but there's a camera below the TV there and we actually have a nursing mother's room out the back which is probably the place to be today because that has refrigerated air conditioning and it's probably really cool there so hi to anybody in the nursing mother's room. Um, we have... We, we put all the facilities that we are able to make people's situation, worship situation, great. Uh, just a quick thing about babies while we're here. Um, some people like church without baby sounds. Um, won't happen here, sorry. Um, the fact that we have babies and if they cry during the service, if they call out during the service, if they call out during the service, I love it because um, most of the adults won't, um, so it's great to get some feedback. Um, but I believe that as a growing, a vibrant church, the cries of babies, the, the sort of yelling of small children, is part of church life. Uh, if, if we're finding it irritating and uh, sort of disturbing our praise or, or how we hear the word of God, we actually need to focus and say, well, no, this is, this is part of growth, this is part of life. Um, if you can't hear the message, you can get it on SoundCloud or, or iTunes after the service. Um, if, um, you know, if it gets too loud, we trust that mothers will take uh, sort of distraught babies to the nursing mother's room. Um, and if they've reached a certain age, they can cry over in the ministry centre uh, with the C3 Kids team. But, you know, we need, to, we need to understand that as a congregation, we are part of worship. We have not come here to have our ears tickled or to be comfortable while other people feed us worship. We are actually here to press into whatever situation we're in to get through to God. And if that is causing us to be distracted by crying babies or the fact that the person next to us is worshipping so loud we can't hear ourselves think, then so be it. We are actually called to come together and worship God. So what I want to do now is I want us to practice I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And we're going to do uh, that song, um, 
I Come Alive, which is the last one we did, which is actually more of a praise song than a worship song. But we're going to uh, incorporate a bit of free worship in there as well to give people practice at that. Now, of course, if you've never done any of this stuff before, just watch people. I mean, as, as my pastor said, just see, watch what people do. You don't have to join in if it makes you feel uncomfortable. If you, if you just want to hold a flat screen TV, that's fine. If you want to be the goalpost, go right ahead. If you, if you, if you, if you just want to hum, because you don't want to sing. If you just rather stand there and think, well, okay, I, I, I'm quite, not quite into that yet. I'll just stand here and worship God. And that's it. It's fine. But the thing is, Get involved. Listen to the words. Speak the words. Believe the words for your life. And get involved in worship. Let's stand together. And we'll let the band take it. Remember, the band is leading us, not feeding us. And when Georgia says, come on, let's, let's get excited or let's clap or whatever, whatever she's going to tell us, let's actually do it enthusiastically and say, what, why should I listen to a pregnant woman on stage? In fact, if there's anybody you should listen to, that's the one. But um, take it away.